Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hey everyone, time is running out to purchase tickets to my How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex live webinar. Participating live gives you the opportunity to ask questions and receive feedback in real time. Plus, you'll get to hear my interactions with other parents in the session, which I think can be tremendously helpful as you think about how to implement what we're learning into your own experience. You can learn more about this opportunity and purchase your ticket by visiting the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. If a live course isn't the best option for you, and you're looking for something that you can do at your own pace, make sure to visit the link in the show notes below to go to our website and take a look at all the online courses that Dr. Jennifer offers, including how to talk to your kids about sex, the art of loving for men, the art of desire for women, and strengthening your relationship and enhancing sexual intimacy for couples. Enjoy this week's episode. Okay, we have Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife on the show with us today, and we are so excited to have her back. We've had her a couple times on different episodes, and we are just so excited to have you with us to share some of your expertise. So thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. Okay, so just to start right off, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with you, either haven't heard our previous episodes with you, can you just give us, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into being uh, a sex therapist and where you are today? Uh, sure. So I'm Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and um, let's see. I have a, a PhD in counseling psychology, and I live in Chicago, and married with three kids. And I I studied women and sexuality essentially. I mean, I studied a lot of things. I studied, you know, how to help people, but how families work, how marriages um, thrive, and then also specialized a bit in sexuality. So I've done a lot of online teaching and podcasting and coaching around how to help people create more intimate marriages and how to have a healthy relationship to sexuality and to your spouse so that you have a chance of creating a sexual relationship that's a good part of your life that helps your marriage be stronger. So one of the things I do is teach an online course for how to talk to your kids about sex and how to relate to this topic in a way that would maximize their chances of having a healthy and um, thriving relationship uh, to their sexuality and to a future spouse. Yes. So I I know that you teach a lot of courses. Today, we really want to dive into exactly what you're talking about, how to talk to our kids about sex coming from a really healthy and clean place because I really love when I've heard you talk about your research before you talk about how like you you interviewed people and how they how they were taught about sex and sexuality and really what I love about your research is that it really goes to show that how we are taught as children has a huge impact on us and our relationships Mm -hmm. as adults so I think all of us as parents we want to give our kids the best shot at having really healthy, intimate relationships as they go into adulthood. So with that, how can we kind of normalize our bodies and our sexuality within our home? Like, where would you say to start? Well, I think, you know, you have to start with yourself. And a lot of parents have a lot of anxiety about sexuality uh, that 
if they don't take a look at where that comes from and how they're in relationship to their own bodies and their own sexual nature, the meanings they have around it will get get sort of transmitted to their children, whether or not they want it to. So if someone has a highly, as a parent, has a highly anxious relationship to their sexuality, there's probably some good reasons why they do, either that there's been some kind of sexual trauma or that they learn through their own family that sex is something scary or something that will lead you away from goodness or righteousness or virtuousness. So a lot of people have already inherited an instinctive kind of fear of it. And the best place to start is to consider your own view of sexuality, because until you've reconciled that, you're going to be the blind leading the blind with your kids a bit. And even if you say all the right words, you will unwittingly communicate your fear, your uncertainty, your, you know, your dislike of sex, uh, even if you don't want to. Absolutely. So I know that you teach a great course for women and for men to kind of maybe help address some of that stuff. If we, if someone is feeling like, you know, I don't know if I'm in a great place where maybe where I want to be with that. And I want to give my kids the best shot. I know you do those courses that are absolutely fabulous and you have other great interviews. Is there anything that you would give as like a, someone listening right now could be like, okay, I want to start and I want to do something to help myself. What would you recommend? Well, the first thing I would say is, you know, speaking of the courses or the podcast, kind of the thesis idea that I'm often teaching at some level or another in the in the content I teach is just that we are inherently, as human beings, as children of God, we are inherently embodied and sexual beings. It's just fundamental to being human. And sexuality is not good or bad. Sexuality is its goodness or kind of what its moral impact is, is determined by how we're in relationship to it. And so you can't really escape the morality of living. It's fundamentally ensconced in a moral conversation because how we're in relationship to ourselves and others impacts us, um, impacts the actor, impacts those that are acted upon. So we can be destructive in our sexuality by being indulgent with it, by using other people with it. Of course, we can also be destructive by repressing it, denying it, denying the gift of it, and trying to kind of step away from the fundamental nature of our our sensual and embodied nature. So the question we have to think about is how do I create good in the world through my embodiment, through my sexual nature, depending on what the status is of your relationships, of who you are, where you are in your life. Those are different answers. But how can I make sexuality a good thing uh, in my life or a better thing in my life? And also, how can I be aware of how sexuality can be a negative thing, right? That how, how one can relate to it in a destructive way and how I can help my children to discern and make sense of those realities that how they choose around sexuality matters, but this is just one of the kind of fundamental ideas of how you talk to your kids about it, but even how you talk to yourself about it, is that a lot of us have this fear that sex will drag you down, that sex is stronger than the agency of the person, 
And that's a very destructive idea that while sexuality is a powerful part of being human, we are the drivers, we're the choosers. And so you want to be able to see yourself as an active chooser around how to create goodness through your sexual and embodied state, but how to help your children deliberately choose the good through their embodied and sexual natures and help them understand that they have choices to make that will have real impact on their happiness and on the happiness of anyone they love. Absolutely. I think one of my, when I first started kind of listening to you and your work, something that I really loved is just what you're talking about with like, it is a mindset shift, like to realize that, that our sexuality is, yeah, like it is good. And that I, I think a lot of us do have so many things around sex, either that you know, we've, you, I've heard you talk about it before and we've even talked about it on this podcast of like, if we're seeing sex as just like a, a burden or something that we do to please our husbands, we're yeah. never going to find joy right. in that, you know, like we're never going to be in a place right. to really receive that in a good way. And yeah. so I love, I think what you're saying is just being able to ask ourselves honestly, like, where are we at? And maybe what are some of those mindsets that maybe are holding us back in an unhealthy way? Yes. And I think it does come to a really personal level because I think everybody has had so many different things leading up in their lives to put them in a different place yes. to kind of have these mindsets that could be not serving us. And so That's right. I really like what you're saying. Yeah. So with that, so going into with our children, so us here at Find the Magic, we have kids that range all the way in the teenage years down to babies. And so some of the questions that that we have, as well as we've seen a lot of questions come in from listeners is how do we like some really concrete things on when our children do this or ask these things, maybe what are some things that we can do or how can we react to give them mm-hmm. a really good feeling about it? So for instance, say with younger children, babies, toddlers, how, so some questions that we have are like, how should we react when our children are touching themselves curiously? What's like a good way to react for us? Just completely comfortably. I I don't know if there's a better way to say it, but just that they're doing something that's very, very normal. Like a child, especially a toddler, is trying to figure out the question of what's me and what's not me. Kind of where do I stop and the world begins? And they're figuring out that they feel things. And it's completely normal that they would figure out that their genitals feel especially good and to be curious about them, and to like to touch them. Uh, You know, that doesn't mean they're Satan's tool or that they're, you know, going to (laughs) be, you know, uh, you know, in some way depraved down the road. And I think a lot of parents can fear, like, if I don't make a negative response, they're going to not understand any kind of proper boundaries or something bad will happen. And in fact, the opposite is true. The more negatively you respond, the more it gets connected to fear and hiding and shame, which are not helpful for staying. You know, when I talk about that, you're the driver, you're the determiner, the more that that gets kind of ensconced in fear, shame, you know, the more it gets driven into compulsivity and hiding and, you know, you push it out of your control, the more you can kind of understand it, be deliberate and thoughtful in your choices, the more it's in your control, the less that anxiety and fear runs the show. So just normalizing, like, you know, just to be kind of matter of fact about it. And, um, you know, that of course that feels good. That doesn't make your child weird. It makes them very human and normal. 
And, you know, if, if it's inappropriate, like, you know, your friend's over and, and your child has their hand on their pants or something, you can say, hey, honey, that's not polite. Like, let's, why don't you go get a book and come sit up and sit next to me? You know, you can redirect mm-hmm. so that it's yeah. socially appropriate, but you're not, you're not loading it down with your fear or your shame. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, cause my oldest, so I'm like the youngest of them. So my oldest is two. Right. And so anyway, so it's interesting. So what I hear you saying, and I kind of want to make sure I'm getting it is that, so obviously in a manner, like they're in the bathtub or whatever you see them doing it, you can just be matter of fact about it and just say like, Hey, I see that you're touching your, like touching your penis or whatever it may be. And just letting it. And like, if they're even like saying like laughing or something to say like, yeah, that feels interesting. Like those kinds of things, just basically sports casting, like what you're seeing, you don't have to put any Yes. thought on it either way. That's right. And, and it can be helpful to actually label so they know, but it can also be, what I mean is you don't have to be like, now is a chance to label, like meaning you can also just be kind of normal about it. Like there's nothing weird or shocking about it. Um, you know, so you can label because sometimes it helps that they understand or you're helping to identify their body parts and you're matter of fact about it as much as you would be about, you know, that's your elbow. <laughs> but yes, it's not like you must label or you must say, it's just more that you're okay. You understand this as a normal part of, of development. Yeah. Okay. So what I hear you saying is it's okay. It's like, it's totally okay for them to be doing those things. It's part of development with that same note. It is also okay. Like when you are in public to say, you know, mm-hmm. we don't do that in public yeah. and yeah. just leave it exactly. at that. Especially, especially depending on the age of the child, like, especially as they're becoming more socially aware, you know, you can always redirect your child, even if they're two years old or three years old, but as they're four and five, certainly it's time to start making more distinctions between private and public and politeness and giving them a little more of a clear sense of sexuality uh, being a more of a private reality and being polite in polite company. So it's not shame. It's more making a distinction between public and private and, and some messaging around protecting your sexuality, protecting this as something personal, not because it's bad, but because it's something kind of private and core to our sense of self. And that can even be communicated in a way of respect for self and others. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. I really appreciate that. With that, I haven't personally like gotten to this level, but we have had questions about this. So for instance, what about when kids pull down their pants in front of each other? They do it sometimes to get a reaction, but it can be alarming and obviously Mm -hmm. it's socially unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Do you kind of have some thoughts around Mm -hmm. how to react in those situations? So first of all, there is this kind of period like age, probably I'm trying to remember, but like six to nine, it's before the kids are going, it's pre-adolescent, it's sort of after their toddler years, and they will often be more sexually curious. Now, this can happen before a child is six or seven, but they can be more curious, curious about their friends. Parents have been horrified to walk into a room and to see their seven-year-olds are, you know, have pulled down their pants and are looking at each other or something like that. And it can be scary because, you know, is 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 my child being harmed? Were they being pressured to do this? So there can be legitimate questions about that. But there is a, this again is a normal part of, of pre-adolescent curiosity often to sort of just understand your own body or be very curious about the nakedness of another. And you can set limits, but you, you don't again want to overreact. So let's say your child is like pulling down their pants for a reaction. 
I would just have a matter of fact response of like, hey, no, that's not polite. We don't do that. You know, pull up your pants and that, that's not okay. You know, you get, so you're just kind of, you're setting a boundary, but it's not like, you know, you awful rotten child or, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, no one's going to say right. that, but you, you're not getting overly ex- exaggerated, just more matter of fact around that's not polite behavior or that's not, you know, we don't do that when we're with our friends and you're just kind of holding a boundary. If you find that your child has been involved in some kind of sexual play and you're trying to make sense of it, a very important thing to think about is, is there a big age difference? Is this a child that is just playing with a child to whom he or she could say no if they didn't want to? Or is there an age differential or a power differential in which your child is feeling that they have to do something that they don't want to otherwise do? So you want to just you may still be uncomfortable with it, of course, and you may still want to prevent them playing with that friend or something if you don't want them to be pulling down their pants with each other or more. But it's a very, very important distinction to make is, is this a situation in which my child was able to just, was just playing and curious, or is it a situation in which my child was being pressured into something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So would it be because again, obviously like that, that's if we walk in, we see something that, you know, kids, mm-hmm. kids showing each other genitals or whatever, but is it also, because I actually remember growing up and I remember my parents, you know, preemptively, and I don't know how young I would have been, but mm-hmm. maybe four, I'm not sure. I remember them saying things like, Hey, if anybody asks, you know, asked to see your private parts or anything like that, mm-hmm. you say no. And you come and tell mom and dad. And if they, yeah. you know, if they yeah. tell you, if they tell you, don't tell your mom and dad, like you make sure, you know, yep. they, I remember having that conversation with them at a pretty yeah, young age, that's good. which I think is helpful. And, and I didn't feel like it was shaming. Do you have yeah. anything to add to that? At least preemptively to help our kids. Cause again, sex is okay. Intimacy is okay, but in the right time. And when they're, you know, when yeah. they're mature. So do you have anything to add to that to maybe preemptively help them? again, associate their private parts and everything well, but also we do not share. Well, first of all, I think that's a good message your parents gave. I think for a lot of kids, they don't understand it. Like, wait, why? Who would want to see my private? I mean, they may not fully get it, but there is this kind of preemptive messaging that I'm here for you. If you ever, Uh you know, if you ever feel that you're getting pressured, I think there's also an important kind of simple message is that your body belongs to you always. And you always get to decide, right? Who touches it, who hugs you, if you want to hug grandma or not, it's your body. And you always are the decider. And it's just giving them this sense of ownership and respect that you, the parent, are kind of articulating and demonstrating to them. If your child is getting dressed and suddenly she or he feels shy and doesn't want you in the room, like for a parent, even if they think, cares. Like, I don't, you know, I know that if the parent still respects that boundary, it's a way of teaching them that their personal space will be protected and respected by you. And that's a very powerful message too, because they, you're giving them the model that their boundaries matter and you'll respect them. And that if anybody were to violate them, that would feel off to them because others in my family have protected them. And mom or dad is here and could talk to me about it. The good thing about a parent signaling they can talk about it is that a lot of times a child feels shamed if somebody touches them inappropriately. 
they feel like they brought it on somehow. And maybe this will make mom or dad think I'm bad. And even if mom and dad would never think that, a child can very quickly start to feel like they've done something harmful. And so that for how the parent sort of preemptively sets that up and or how a parent responds is really clear and important messaging. Yeah. I've, I've just heard you say before, like that our kids map us. And so with what kind of you've been saying is like, if they can see that we feel comfortable being able to talk about yeah. our bodies in a really healthy, normal way. Yes. I think that that probably adds to that feeling of like, it's okay for me to talk about these things with mom. Like, I think just that general feeling of they can map that we feel comfortable talking about right, that they can and they will handle it and that they, exactly. I remember when I was like probably five or six years old, I had walked into a part of the neighborhood with my friend that I hadn't been in before. And there was some boy there that was maybe two years older or something. And he was telling us he wouldn't let us go home unless we pulled down our pants. Okay. Oh, he was, wow. he was probably only two years older. But that was terrifying for me. I really did feel like I didn't have a choice. And so I did it to be able to go back to my house. Well, I felt so ashamed. I felt like I was in a catch-22 and like I, that was my ticket to be back in the security of my home. But I felt ashamed and I didn't tell my parents. Well, thankfully, my friend did tell her parent who told my parents. And I was just a chicken. She wasn't. (laughs) Uh, But my parents came to me in a very kind way. It was really clear because I could map immediately that they were concerned about me and my safety and they wanted to understand what had happened, but there was zero shame. I could tell they were protective of me. And that, I don't even remember what they said. I just remember knowing that was true. And that was very helpful for me to get that put straight in my own mind. Okay. So I feel like we've covered some of those things like with our small children, maybe how to help them. So what I'm hearing mainly you saying is like, we want to make sure that we are able to approach it in a comfortable, like open way. And it sounds like just being able to talk to them in a matter of fact way, when we see them touching themselves or anything like that, we can be able to talk to them without shame and come, come at it with like a really open, just like matter of fact way. Yep. Yep. And you get better at it the more you really are comfortable with sexuality, the more you're comfortable with the fact that sexuality is a part of being human or the more comfortable you are that it's been a good enough part of your life through your own choices. Your kids will just feel that. They won't feel the, you know, don't look at that or whatever. I mean, you can be more matter of fact about if, you know, you see that your child is noticing a picture of a woman in a bikini or something like how you respond says a lot about whether or not you think sexuality controls you or whether or not you believe you control your choices in the context of sexuality. Yeah. I'm thinking like in that situation, cause again, I, I haven't really reached that, that mm-hmm. exact situation yet, but just like in my mind, I'm thinking if you were to see it and going with what you are saying, it would just be to mostly, it sounds like just observe like, Hey, like, you're noticing this woman like what do you like would you just maybe ask some questions like what what do you what would you say Mm -hmm. recommend to you yeah well it depends a little bit um but it's kind of interesting because I remember times thinking like I noticed that my boys would notice something but I didn't actually draw a lot of attention to it because I actually felt like that was going to make it into something that it didn't need to be like 
it just confirmed that they were human and curious and, you know, drawn. And I think because I just trust that that's a good part of being human and an okay a part of being human. I, I wasn't sort of in this terror of pornography with my kids so much. Um, I just sort of felt like, you know, yeah, it's just sort of normal. Like, of course you notice. Um, like, of course that's there. But what I care more about is not whether or not my kids would find those kinds of images attractive or curious, but if they were going to start turning to those images as a way to cope with their emotional world or as a way to kind of spend their time, then I would be much more wanting to kind of like deliberately think through it with them. Like what, what's happening that you're turning to this rather than living your life. Okay. Okay. I like that. So it's not that we necessarily have to like point out like, Hey, I see you're doing that. Cause of course, yeah. like they're going to, you know, there's magazines in the store that, you know, like there's, every, you know, they're yeah. going to see. So that's a really good, thank you. Cause I have, I also have two boys and because I'm a girl, I, I, you know, I just realized that I probably approach those things differently than a boy does. And so that's helpful for me as I'm thinking about going into as we get mm-hmm. older, you know? Yeah. And, and sometimes you may want to label something, but you want to just make sure that in the, in the idea of naming something, you're not turning it into, you're not communicating your anxiety while labeling. Uh-huh. Do you see what I mean? Uh-huh. So I think my kids could map that I trusted them to both be accepting of their sexuality, that I saw nothing wrong with it, that I'm happy for them, that that's a part of who being human because I think it's a good part of life, and that choosing wisely and in ways that are respectful of them and others is fundamental to it. So it's just kind of in the conversation, but also in the way that I and their dad relate to the topic. So it's hard to say it, but it's just it's just in the air. It's in the way one thinks mm-hmm. about it. And that's why getting yourself clear is the most important step. Yes, because that then casts yes. the umbrella over everything else. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. That makes sense. Okay. Okay, so thank you. So now kind of segueing a little bit into teenage, like tweens, teenagers a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, we have a couple questions. So if one of them is, what is the merit in teaching modesty to our children. I feel mm-hmm. like sometimes that can be a little bit of a hot topic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts sure. on that? So well, let me start with maybe what the problems are with modesty and then what I think is good about modesty. The problem in my view of how we've tended to think about modesty is it's something women must do for men. That is to say that women are responsible for men's thoughts and behaviors based on how women dress. And of course the problem with that is at least twofold. One is you're trying to make women responsible for men's thoughts, which you you could be completely shrouded in a burqa and a man can still be destructive in their thoughts towards you or in how they see you, right? So you can't control a person's thoughts. And then the second thing is it teaches the idea that men are not trustworthy that the locus of control of men's sexuality is women. And that's problematic because you learn as a woman that men can't handle themselves. And so they're fundamentally not trustworthy. And that's just a terrible, terrible message to give to any man, woman about a man if you want her to love and be open to a man. 
So um, what I think is legitimate about modesty is maybe a couple of things, which is modesty is a way of managing sexuality and managing access because part of the beauty and attraction of sexuality is that it's different, that you are saying, for you, I want to show you this part of me, that you are special, that I'm letting you in on a part of me that I don't let the rest of the world in on. <laughs> that that there's, a, there's an emblematic and symbolic value in that, even for the specialness of sexuality and for the attractiveness of it, is by making it not available for everyone. And so that's not about controlling men's thoughts. It's more about controlling kind of who you let in on the most intimate part of who you are. And so this can be a way of managing how sexually accessible you make yourself. I think it's also, it's a way of preserving sexiness and preserving eroticism is by keeping it in contrast. Like there's nothing less sexy than a nude beach. I know from experience. <laughs> I, as a 16-year-old, was led to a, a nude beach without knowing it when I was in Germany. And all these high school boys that were with us that had been talking about sex nonstop to prove how cool and masculine they were, were suddenly like terrified and terrorized <laughs> <laughs> by the sight of... of seeing way, way, way more than was sexy. <laughs> uh -huh. and, so, and so anyway, it was instructive because there's a lot to this idea of uncovering or, you know, we, we undervalue it culturally because we're so into the idea that we don't want to be repressed or whatever. Right. Um, and so I think we, we miss the mark when we make it all about repression and, some, and ha somehow lack of freedom as mm -hmm. opposed to self-respect and respect for others and managing a boundary that matters to us. And the boundary helps us preserve and conserve something valuable. But you don't want to think about it in, and I think it's also true, men tend to be more visual and women know how to be sexy. Most women are, are, are know how to kind of do that. But I would talk to my daughter about modesty as a function of self-respect and respect for others, that you're not trying to work it to get a lot of validation and attention because it's a way of uh, being not respectful of others, but it's also a way of sort of devaluing yourself by trying to get just sexual attention. So it's okay to be attractive. It's okay to be sexy even. It's okay to know that someone is attracted to you but I think it's still keeping track of, is there some way in which I'm using that power that's devaluing of me or another person? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate, I feel like it's a really refreshing view because, because again, I have two really small boys right now and they're, mm -hmm. they're boys. And so I want them to feel, I, oh, I never liked that like view of you know, girls have to dress modestly to help the boys control their thoughts. Because mm -hmm. first of all, yeah, like even I think about for my boys, I'm like, I don't want them to think that they're just some weak creatures that have no control exactly. over themselves. You know, it's like, exactly. anyway, I, I've never liked that. So yeah. I, I do appreciate that. I feel like a lot of people have gone away from that viewpoint, but I appreciate that refreshing yeah. approach to it because I think it's healthy for both men and yeah. women when we approach it that way. So, yeah. and you do want to say to men, you know, you, you never want to kind of reduce a woman to her sexuality or her, or her body parts or her, you know, and so you have a responsibility to not objectify or devalue no matter what she's wearing, 
Like, right. you know, you can notice her attractiveness and still hold her dignity, even if she mm-hmm. doesn't hold her own. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you still have a responsibility in how you relate to others, irrespective of how they're dressed. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. With the few minutes that we have left, I have a couple more questions with, so the next one is kind of kissing. Do you say wait, or do you just want to have an open dialogue for when they kiss as obviously they're, mm-hmm. you know, getting older. what are your thoughts? I would never just give like a plain old wait. Cause I think there is value in beginning to dabble in one's attractive attractions and sexuality as a single person and as an emerging adult, because I think we like the idea that sexuality begins on your wedding day and, and you live happily ever after. And, that, and it's just simply not true and simply unhelpful because you are a sexual being from birth and how you're in relationship to that sexual nature matters, even if you're not engaging sexually in any way. That if you're okay with yourself and you're comfortable with your body and you're comfortable with your sexual capacity, that's very, very valuable. And then you want any kind of romantic relationship to not have the physical ever exceed kind of, you never want to do more than what you feel comfortable with. You never want to use your sexuality to earn someone's love or to try and get them or to do something that they are want you to do against your own wishes or your own sense of integrity. So I think what I would say to my kids is you really want to think about what you ultimately want to create in terms of being capable of an intimate, loving, committed relationship. And so you want to think about what choices do I want to make along the way that will prepare me to be capable of that, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. I don't want to ever be trying to pressure someone to do something they don't want. I don't ever want to let myself do something to earn someone else's approval. I don't ever want to have how physical it is be farther along than where we are in terms of just our friendship and emotional connection. So you're helping them to have guidelines that would help them define and think about what's their ultimate goal and what does that mean for their choices along the way? Because the more that they've been deliberate and thoughtful in that and where the, what they ultimately want for themselves those are the people that have the most self-control without it being repressive. Mm. Does that make sense? Okay. It's not out of shame that they're not doing it. It's out of self-definition. Yes. Mm-hmm. So with that, would you say, I mean, like with your kids or just recommending, like, would you say that there is, I, I hate to say like a cut and dry age, but like, do you recommend like, you know, I because obviously like we want to have our kids recognize that it's okay to have these attraction feelings towards yep another person and it's okay to want to kiss them and kissing in itself is great. But also like, I think at least for me, I remember thinking like, I feel like there was kind of an age limit and I don't know if my parents told me that or if it was from church, I don't really know, but it was like, I, I won't kiss until I'm this age. Yeah. And I think probably the reasoning behind it, the reason why I got those messages was because it's like, you know, you obviously you have a lot of hormones as teenagers. I think maybe you want to like keep that limit Mm-hmm. off limits for a little mm-hmm. while so that you can get a hold of yourself. Yeah. I don't know, but sure. so would sure. you say there is value in maybe creating some sort of yeah. age limit or no? I think, I mean, it, it may not work out that way, but I do think that there is value as parents in kind of thinking with your kids. I do think it's a great idea to say like, you don't go to dances till you're 14. You don't date until you're 16. Uh, you know, that you can have these, you don't go on a one-on-one date till you're 18 or however, I can't remember. I guess it was 
I'm trying to remember what it was when I was growing up, maybe it was 17. But, you know, there were sort of these guidelines and they were just sort of signposts. Like I, you know, disobeyed it technically because <laughs> I kissed a boy when I was 14 or whatever. But, you know, it's still, there was this sense of I need to be careful because I don't, I knew that still was shaping my thinking. Even though I thought I was sneaking something, it still was kind of a way of giving me a kind of a, a map of sort of how to integrate this and be careful. Mm-hmm. So I think there's okay. value in that uh, for sure. You know, your kids may not necessarily go along with it and they want to kiss somebody at uh, 15. They may do it even if you told them 16, but it's still a way of saying being careful around your sexual choices matters. And I think it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I hear you saying, it is okay to maybe give some guidelines around like, you know, like maybe wait until whatever the age is that you've decided yeah. to, to yeah. date or to kiss yeah. be, and maybe give them some reasons why, because yes. they're obviously yeah. old enough yes. to hopefully realize that. And then it sounds like if, if they do not follow those guidelines, I think it sounds like from what I've heard you say and what sounds like to me is just keeping shame away from those things, like That's right. not helping them feel shameful about wanting to to kiss or, you know, because it's connected to freedom and being accepted. And, you know, you can see why, you know, it's a validation of their desirability. So you can see why they might. Um, And there is this kind of fundamental tension of them trying to step towards kind of adulthood and legitimacy. While you're trying to still protect them, they think they're smarter than they actually are. (laughs) Uh You think if they just do it your way, they'd be fine, which is also not true. But it's, you know, it, it's in that tension. It's not comfortable, but it's still a necessary tension and a valuable yeah. one. Okay. More valuable okay. than they'll let on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. This has been so, so helpful. I think my last question just to wrap up would be, what is the number one thing that we as parents can do to help our kids develop healthy re- relationship with their own bodies and sexuality? Yeah. Well, Two things, which I think I've kind of talked about, but just to kind of put a fine point on them, is that to come to terms with it yourself, to be at peace in your own body, to be at peace with your sexual nature, with your capacity for pleasure, with your capacity for sexual joy. Like the, the more you're capable of really being at ease with that, the the more you give your kids a real advantage. And then mm-hmm. just the idea that they are the agents, they are the choosers, and it has implications for their lives and their relationships. So to be wise choosers, which is not to say sex is bad, but sex is powerful. So being wise about those choices is really important for creating a joyful relationship to sexuality and another person. Okay, absolutely. So really helping them see themselves as agents. Yes. Of, yeah. Yep. Okay, absolutely. Okay, well, Jennifer, thank you so, so much for coming on with us again and sharing your expertise. I think this has been so, so helpful. And for anyone who is interested in taking your courses or learning more from you, where can they find you? Just go to my website, which is finlaysonfife.com. And on there, you'll see the online courses and you can see the How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex course. And I'm also going to be doing a live version of that course starting in February. So there'll be more on my website about that soon. But if people want to take it with me live, um, there's a recorded version, but you can also do the live version if you want, where you can ask me more questions and interact with me more around the content. So, so okay, yeah. fabulous. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am a huge fan and thank you so, so much. And for everyone listening, let's find the magic.
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.